chapter 6. Um, this morning we're going to finish up the book of Ephesians, which, um, man, is both a joyous and a uh, kind of a little bit of sad occasion for me. I mean, Ephesians has been like a friend for the last six months, so, um, but I am grateful that we actually finish it. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, there should be uh, a black hardbound one somewhere near you on the floor, and this morning's passage can be found on page 979. So, I believe it was probably uh, about a year ago, my wife and I we were reading a book together in the morning. Uh, we don't do that all the time, but um, we were reading one together. Um, and the author asked this question, and it was something that I had never actually thought of before. And the author said, um, why do you think it is that God um, allows us to continue to struggle, right? Um, because there's this reality that one day that he's going to take away even the presence and the power of sin and we're going to be with him forever. But why, in the meantime, is there such a battle that goes on in our hearts, right? Um, why is it that God allows us to continue to struggle? Why does he make it necessary um, for us to fight, right? This morning as we finish uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at the reality of spiritual warfare. And when I'm talking about spiritual warfare, um, I'm not talking about the exorcist per se, you know, where somebody's head spins around. I'm talking about how God actually changes us um, from one degree of glory to another. Um, but he doesn't do that in an ivory tower somewhere. He actually does that by taking us through the middle of spiritual battles. And um, that's encouraging for any people in this room that actually struggle. This is um, an encouragement for anyone who feels like they actually have to fight. And um, as I was looking at this passage this week, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says the following in his commentary on Ephesians about the subject of spiritual warfare, right? He says, I have noticed over the years the topic of spiritual warfare is itself the subject of spiritual warfare, right? So he's talking about Anytime that he sits down to actually talk about spiritual warfare, he experiences spiritual warfare. That has been my experience this week. That, that was my experience for no um, apparent reason last night, tossing, turning, not able to sleep. And though it is certain that hidden forces would much rather that we didn't talk about it or that we swept it under the carpet, C.S. Lewis says in the introduction of his famous Screwtape Letters, the general public refers, prefers either to ignore the forces of evil altogether, to pretend that they don't exist, and to use cartoon images of a devil with horns and hooves, as if an argument to that effect, you can't believe in that kind of nonsense, so you don't believe in the devil at all, can you? Or to take an unhealthy interest in everything demonic. Now, this is my own comments, right? I mean, I've been around that, right? You think... Um, your car won't start and it's a demon, right? You can fall off on that side of the ditch as well, which we can't let it be that bad in the long run. What we have in this present passage, and what I believe is required again and again as Christians that face daily in the yearly battle for the kingdom, is a sober, 
realistic access, assessment of both the struggle that we are engaged in and the weapons at our disposal. That's what Ephesians 6 is about. It is, a, of course, a surprise to many people that there is a struggle at all. Yes, they think that, you know, it is from time to time difficult to pray regularly, to resist temptation, to learn more about the faith. But as far as they're concerned, that's the end of it. And they have never thought that their small struggles might, in fact, be part of a larger campaign. They are like soldiers fighting in a fog, never seen and actually not knowing about the others not far away in the same line of battle, let alone that there are other theaters where the war is continuing. So the truth is that we are all engaged in a spiritual battle every day, whether we are aware of it or not. We have a real enemy, right? Combine that with the fact that we live in a fallen and a broken world and that we're still a work in progress. That makes every day a battle. Now, some days we are blissfully unaware of the battle, and that is the grace of God. But there are other moments where we have to fight, and we have to claw, and we have to cling with all that we have to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Well, the good news in the midst of the battle is that that is how grace and power that comes from the Holy Spirit actually becomes real to us is not just by smooth sailing all the time. It's actually by taking the ship out into the sea and experiencing the rough waters. God's plan for our lives and our spiritual development, and actually the advance of the gospel is much different than we would plan, right? As Americans, our, probably our, if we were going to design our own spiritual um, development plan, it probably would be a little bit of study, maybe a little bit of fellowship, a lot of hanging out at the country club, right? I mean, that's what we mostly think that the Christian life should be about. But the truth is that we follow a crucified Messiah who walked, who bore the cross, and as we follow in his footstep, there is going to be real difficulty and real opposition, and that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6. And so let's look at Ephesians 6 together. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we look at Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that my... That words may be given to me in my 
opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak, that, it, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, so much right now. I just want to declare my dependence on you, how much I need you. You know how weak I am. You know how flawed I am. But also have this wonderful promise that you are with me. Father, I thank you for these people, the church that is your bride, that you have promised to keep. I I pray um, that this morning would be a tangible exercise um, in us walking in freedom and us walking in joy in the midst of real difficulty. I pray for any and all that are suffering here that they would see Jesus as their champion, that they would experience his victory on their behalf, and that as a result of encountering you that we would be different. Father, to do that, we need you to send the Holy Spirit. We, we don't understand your word apart from you making it alive to us. We don't possess the intellect. So I pray that you would send your spirit to shine light on Jesus and that we would be different as a result. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we're going to kind of break this message into two parts pretty simply. Um, We're just going to look at the landscape. We're going to look at what actually spiritual warfare is. We're going to get to know kind of what the battlefield is like. We're going to get to know what our enemy is like. And then we're going to learn, hopefully, a little bit about how to fight in his strength instead of our own strength, right? Because that's ultimately the key to this passage. Look at verses 10 through 13 with me. It says, finally, right? This comes at the end of everything that we've learned in this book. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So these verses, um, these are all about how we stand. They're all about the strength that we choose to fight in. Uh, I don't think it comes to any surprise to anyone in here that we actually are engaged in some kind of spiritual battle. Um, But... Our temptation as Western Christians is to find the strength for the battle in our own resources, right? I mean, if we can do it on our own, we certainly are going to try, right? But this passage is about training our minds and our hearts to begin to find the strength that God supplies for us. Now, most of us, if we're honest, in our everyday experience, like when we face difficulty and when we face opposition— And when we face conflict, we think something is wrong, right? We think that something abnormal, right? If we're trying to follow God down a certain path, and we believe that he's given us gifts and dreams and callings and passions, and we begin to take that first step of faith, and we're opposed, we suddenly think that we're on the wrong path. Am I right? 
right? But what this passage is actually in the Bible to say is, hey, don't get discouraged when you run into opposition. Don't get discouraged when you encounter spiritual darkness, um, when you're trying to live out all of the promises of God for your life. He's like, that's not something that's strange. I want you to know from the outset that when you encounter spiritual conflict, it just means that the Spirit is upon you and that you're in the battle. And so, a lot of the times, I mean, when I try to understand, like, what does this passage mean? I just think about what actually would happen if this weren't in the Bible, right? That, that gives us a clue to understand a little bit. Like, if this passage was not in the Bible, like, it wouldn't make sense of so much of the experience of the Christian life, right? The struggle, the battle, the doubt, the despair, right? encountering a real enemy. But not only that, but then this passage also wonderfully gives us tools that are rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf so that we're fighting a battle that he's already won for us, right? So this passage is full of how to actually live out the life um, that God has called us to live with all of the gifts and all of the passions and all of the dreams that he has given us. Ephesians 6 is about how God takes fearful, insecure people like the Ephesians and like you and I and transforms them into an army that is walking by faith, not because they are perfect, not because they are strong in themselves, but because collectively together, as God is at work in and among us, we are able to display His power and His work and His grace alone. So the Ephesians are a group of people that are fearful like us. They are a group of people that are insecure like us. And I mean, this is the truth. This is what I want you to understand this morning. I think that there are people, and I I mean, I could put myself in this list. I think we are all tempted to give up way too easily, right? I think that we are all tempted to stop short of the grace of God. I think that we are all tempted, right, in the moment to think that something has gone horribly wrong and that God has left us and that God has forsaken us when very much God says in the midst of this, this is exactly what I called you to do because this is the truth. God doesn't need a group of people that can make it on their own, right? He's building a church that is absolutely dependent on him for power and for strength and for mercy because the world doesn't need to see a group of people that have it all together. They need to see a group of people that are sustained by the mercy and the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that we are in the battle. And I think he wants to encourage all of us that there is no unnecessary battles in the Christian life right? He is our heavenly Father. He is leading us and guiding us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the things that we face, no matter how difficult they are, they are because He has led us there and He has a purposeful salvation for us to experience in the midst of all of those things. So if you are in the midst of a spiritual battle this morning, take courage that God is at work. You are on the right path. Paul Tripp says this, and this is so encouraging to my soul. He says, God will take you where you never intended to go to produce what you could never produce on your own, right? God takes us out into the midst of battle because, right, we just wouldn't go there on our own. We will not know 
that Jesus is all we need until he's all that we have, right? And so he's pleased to let us join the battle. But this means that all of the promises of God, all of the callings that he's placed on our lives, both individually and corporately, they will be opposed. But the way that those things become precious to us and the way that they become unshakable to us is by actually going into the battle and those things being shaken. So, first of all, for us to understand this battle of spiritual warfare, we actually have to be convinced that there is one, right? Um, And as I just looked at Scripture this week, it's a lot broader than you think, right? I mean, so oftentimes we want to think, is this a spiritual attack? Is this my heart? Is this the world? Um, And the answer to all those questions is yes, right? I mean, all of those things work together. The world, your heart, the devil, all of those things are always working simultaneously to try to derail our faith. So I think it's a lot broader than we normally think. Um, A a few weeks ago, we sent a team down to Haiti, right? And um, their reports were, man, this is a wonderful nation and a great people that are trusting God, but there's real spiritual darkness in Haiti, right? I mean, I remember that someone on the stage saying that there are houses that are called voodoo houses and just the spiritual darkness. And I think, like, as Western Christians, like, we can understand that. Like, we say, okay, I could see... Now, I'm not really sure how they get into voodoo and why they would want to have these dolls and those kinds of things, but we can understand spiritual darkness in a place like Haiti. But this is what makes spiritual warfare so powerful and so deceptive, what they call the schemes of the devil, is because most of the time when you're engaged in it, you don't even know you're in the battle, right? Because this battle is much broader than you think. So in Haiti, it looks like poverty, it looks like hopelessness, it looks like tangible evil. But in the United States of America, you know what it looks like? Comfort, ease, materialism, right? That life is all about working as hard as you can so that one day you can get to a point where you can actually enjoy life, right? That's spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So spiritual warfare is about blindness. It's about the things that we cannot see, right? It also is about our addiction to our spiritual performance, right? That is demonic. Jesus in Luke chapter 3, he is baptized by John and the, the Spirit descends on him like a dove and there is a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know what happens right at the end of that moment when God declares, this is my son, Satan takes him out into the wilderness, or the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, Satan tempts him, and he says, I want you to prove it. I want you to prove your spirituality, right? And there are so many people in this room, if you're honest, right, you get caught up in the performance trap where you are trying to prove your spirituality by the things that you do. I want to tell you a story reading this book now. It's called um, Beloved Mess. It's by uh, a woman named Kim Crandall. And she got caught up in the same trap that a lot of us get caught up in. The kind of do more, try harder Christianity 
where all the books that she would read about being a mother, all the books that she would read about prayer, all the books that she would read um, really about anything and everything under the sun would lead her back to herself. And so she finally just got to this point of deep depression, right? And, and she didn't tell anybody that she had this. She had a list in her night table drawer, and it was a list of all the ways that she had fallen short. And she said, she would just, every night after she would read something, she said, that's another way I fall short. That's where I failed. I will never, ever, ever be able to be a Christian. And if God knows all of these things about me, there is no way that he can forgive me. And so, by the grace of God, she found herself in the office of a, a counselor, and she just let it slip that she had this list where she was the worst sinner in the world. And so the counselor wisely said, hey, I I want you to bring this list to me. And she brought the list the next time. And um, basically she went over it line by line, and she just said, I want you to write on that list, paid. Right? Because that's the truth, that he has canceled the record of wrongs that stands against every person in this room We don't have to live by our performance for Jesus. We get to live by his performance for us, right? We don't have to prove our sonship. He gave us that via the Holy Spirit before we did anything good or bad, right? That is the good news of the gospel. So when we try to prove our spirituality, that is a form of spiritual warfare, Colossians chapter 3, if you just make it about religion, right? It says that the elementary spirits of the world, they say, do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. I'm going to make spirituality about the things that you don't do instead of the things that it's really about, which is having a relationship with Jesus. That is spiritual warfare. It's made to put our eyes on ourselves instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus. That is spiritual warfare. James chapter 3. See, I told you this is broad. The comparison game inside the church. I'm more spiritual than you. Or, I'm not as spiritual of you. James chapter 3 says that's demonic. That's what causes fights and quarrels and factions inside the church is actually spiritual warfare going on where we want to compare ourselves either favorably or unfavorably towards other people. Instead of, And this is what should give us great compassion for everyone in this room is that this passage is true for everyone, right? Everybody has their own battle. And if you had to walk in someone else's battle for one day, you would be filled with compassion and empathy, right? That's why he gives this passage to the Ephesians and to us corporately so we know that we are all in a battle. So comparison. And this is the one I think that we're the most familiar with, but we're the most ashamed of. 2 Corinthians 12 Um, Paul says that a messenger of Satan was given to harass him. Who in this room has been harassed this week? Who in this room has had thoughts that plagued them? Who in this room has had self-condemning, self-hating, if I really were a Christian kinds of thoughts, right? Right? See, Satan is an expert at what I like to call like playing back the events at his own selected speed, right? So we all have this video camera that rolls through our minds. And he knows how to cue up just the right moment, right? 
And he knows how to zero in on that and do it in a way that makes you want to quit, that makes you want to throw in the towel, right? That's a universal experience. Stephen Furtick, and this is actually probably one of the most helpful books on this. He wrote a book called Crash the Chatterbox. And in, the, in this book, he said, it's, it's estimated that people have 68,000 thoughts a day. 68,000, which is a lot. 80% of the thoughts that every person has are negative. Where do you think that message is coming from? Right? Scripture calls our enemy the devil. He is our adversary. He is a slanderer. He is an accuser. He is the father of lies. All he knows how to do is lie. All he wants to do is take the spotlight off of Jesus and his performance for us and suddenly shift it away to where we are the exception and we are the only people that are not qualified to receive the mercy and the grace of God. Listen to this quote from R.J. Grunwald. This should be on the screen for you. It's from a blog post that's entitled Silencing the Voices. He says, Satan is an expert in using the law to crush the already burdened. And that is an apt description of the church. He's a master at using thousands of voices to use the law to drive us away from the cross instead of towards it. That's the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Satan. When God speaks, it ultimately leads us to grace and peace by the way of repentance. When Satan speaks, it's meant to make us believe that grace and peace isn't for us. Any voice that pulls us away from the work of Jesus is a voice that needs to be shut up by the voice of God. The voices that leave us with no sense of worth Love or acceptance need to be silenced with death and resurrection. So this is what Ephesians chapter 6 is about. It's about silencing the lies of the enemy that you believe. Instead of running away from Jesus, we get to run to Jesus. Everything that Satan accuses us of, God turns the conversation away from us and away from our performance, and it shines a spotlight on Jesus so that every person that casts their faith on Jesus gets the subjective reality of grace and peace. Who needs grace and peace this morning? That's the good news of Jesus Christ crucified in our place. That's the good news of Jesus who kept the law for us. It actually says in the book of Romans that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for all that believe. So it's not about us keeping the law anymore. Jesus did that for us. Now we get to relate to him as sons and daughters. Spiritual warfare is not primarily about breaking territorial spirits that rule over an area. It's primarily about getting the gospel into the hearts of God's people. That brings us to point number two, learning to fight in his strength and not ours. So we have a real enemy. There is a real battle. But the grace of God through Jesus Christ is greater, right? And the promise is that as we take up these weapons of his warfare, which he purchased on our behalf, that God works his good for us, that those things that Satan means for harm, God actually means for our good, 
right? So the thing that you're walking through, the doubts that you experience, the attacks on your identity, all of those are parts of God's plan to let you know that His promises and His grace is unshakable. But this warfare is waged in prayer. Look at verses 14 through 18. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So what we need to see in these moments is that every one of these tools and gifts that God has given us, they flow from the finished work of Jesus, right? This isn't about us working up strength in ourselves. This is not about us giving ourselves some kind of spiritual pep talk. It's actually about bringing our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our feeling under the rule and reign of Jesus in the gospel. So this is some powerful imagery. We're not going to just unpack this exhaustively, but I do think it's helpful to walk through these things um, piece by piece, and I'm going to do it more in a logical order than um, what's in the passage, but I mean, these are the the common armor that a a soldier in the Roman army would have worn, Um, and you've probably seen some kind of illusion. I I guess I could have worn my Roman gear this morning, you know, I could have put on the helmet and did all that, but I'm not going to do that for you, but I do want you to see the connection What Paul was trying to do in there is something that they're going to see every single day. When you see that, I want you to make a connection between that, that Roman soldier, and your life walking out life in the Spirit. Like, life, in many sense, is war. So he said, I want you to have the helmet of salvation, right? That means I want your thinking to be guarded by the good news of Jesus. Salvation um, is both... Um, a process where God saves us at a point in time and keeps us until all eternity, right? That's what salvation is. And he's like, I want you to bring all of your thoughts um, in line with that. And And the reason is because there are so many things that we wish that we could forget that Satan wants us to remember, right? All it takes, right? I mean, the, the battle, I mean, if we're at all honest, happens in our mind, And it just takes just a thought, just a suggestion to kind of get us off track. And so we need to think about God's grace and His salvation for us in terms of Him dying for us and all the things that are in our past. That His death and His resurrection make powerful impressions on us in the present. And it's actually His gospel that's going to keep us until the end of time, right? I mean... If we're honest, there are lies that we have believed since we've been in the world, right? There are things that we have thought about ourselves. There are things that others have projected on us that tend to define us more than the gospel. 
And so Paul is saying, hey, I want you to take up the thoughts about salvation and I want those things to be louder in your ears than the accusing voices of Satan. And this, this is just a hymn. This is how I fight. Um, I think about things in those moments that try to turn my attention away from myself. This is from a hymn that's called Jehovah Knoweth. It says, Well may the accuser roar, of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah, Jehovah knoweth none. I'm going to read that again. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. Is he roaring? I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. So that's how we guard our minds in the gospel. And then there's this imagery of the breastplate of righteousness. Is that our righteousness or Jesus's righteousness for us, right? The only thing that can guard our hearts is changing the conversation away from who we are and our spotty at best righteousness to the perfect spotlessness and righteousness of Jesus Christ that we receive as a gift right? And that will guard us. That will protect us. Because, yeah, I mean, Satan is going to hone in on the many ways that you have failed. And every way that you have failed, you get to say, this is how Jesus succeeded in my place. He took my place on the cross. So the breastplate of righteousness. Um, And then there's these dual things that go together. It is the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. So it says that the shield of faith actually extinguishes um, the fiery darts of the enemy. And this is something that God's doing in my own life personally. It's just highlighting the importance of faith. I mean, we talk a lot about true things, right? And it's okay to deal with our own brokenness and our own struggle, but there does have to be that moment where we're saying, I actually believe what you say. Like, I'm not going to allow these lies to determine my future. I'm going to extinguish them by faith. And then you fight back with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so this is is where I think the list imagery can be helpful. Like, all of us have lies that we tend to believe over and over. So it would be helpful to say, this is what I really think about myself. This is what I really think about the ways that I struggle. And then, you know, in that same moment, if, it, if, if it's by yourself or with a trusted friend, help me to think about this from the Word of God. Help me to understand who I am so that I don't suffer alone, so I don't go through this by myself. I did this this week, just yesterday. I was talking to Hayden in the gym, and I was able to unpack what was going on in my own heart and my own life, and he was able to shine the good news of the gospel. We all need those kinds of friends, right? That's what this room is for. It's not just so that you can all come together and pass the peace every once in a while. It's so that you guys can actually lock arms in the midst of the battle. So the the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. And then this is something that I'm not going to close with this. I've never thought that much about, but it talks about the, the feet being prepared with the good news of the gospel. And most commentators, um, they simply say that's just so that you can stand, you know, firm. And I, I think that's part of it. But the reality is, the reason that the feet are included here is because we're actually going somewhere, right? We're actually, um, if, 
If you didn't know this, the church is the one that's on the offense and not on the defense, right? It says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the church. And so the, the, the good news is that God ha- has our back and that he has prepared our feet to take the good news so that people are actually moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're actually going on a mission and our mission will not fail because he has prepared our feet. It says in Romans, blessed are the feet that bring good news. And that's what the church is to be, is this good news bringing people to a lost and a dying world. And so if if you are in the midst of your neighborhood, or if you're trying to reach out to your neighbor, or even in the midst of your own family, and there's difficulty, you need to take fresh courage that the mission that we have cannot fail. The gospel itself is the power of God. And all we're looking to do is find an opportunity to bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. So the gospel is preparing our feet to take this message to a lost and a dying world. And we have this perspective. And I just want to invite anyone here, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and I mean, not pray a prayer, not be baptized, but I'm talking about Jesus represents me. He, his record is my record. His life is my life. And I actually want to follow in his footsteps. I want to encourage you this morning to simply look to Jesus in faith. He was crucified on the cross for your sins. And that means that that's all the sins that you committed in the past, all the sins that you've committed today, all the sins that you'll commit in the future. And that as you look to him in faith and know that not only did he die for you, but God raised him from the dead, you can experience eternal life. Be rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Be set free from the lies that you continue to believe. That's the offer for all of us here this morning, is to look to Jesus and believe. And that's exactly what Paul was in prison for. He wrote this beautiful letter from prison, right? Suffering in prison for the gospel, right? How many of us, like when facing opposition, we just tap out? Paul saw that as an opportunity. It's great. You're going to put me on the sidelines. Still got a pen in my hand. I'm going to pen the book of Ephesians. Don't give up wherever you are. God's purposes for your life will not be thwarted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his finished work. I pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us and help us to believe gospel thoughts and feel gospel feelings. I pray that we would link arms together and we'd be encouraged that the mission that we're on cannot fail. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.